Hello and welcome to Just Animals Podcast. I'm your host, Elle, and with me as always is my dad, aka Guy. Hello, pod world. Welcome back to another exciting, fun-filled episode. Yes, and um, as always, Sam the Zookeeper. And this really will be a fun-filled episode. Hello. And special guest with us today, we have Dr. Sarah Hoy from Michigan Tech University. Thank you so much for coming on and giving us your time. We really appreciate it. Uh, why don't you go ahead and tell your listeners, tell our, not your, our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do. Um, hi, so thank you for inviting me. It's fun to kind of be on the podcast. Um, so I am a researcher working at Michigan Tech University, and I study um, the wolf and moose populations in Isle Royale National Park. So I spend part of my job is kind of spending time on the island monitoring wolves and moose, and then the other time is kind of in the office and analyzing data and writing papers and things like that. Fantastic. Uh, so that is just so cool. You said like two of the coolest animals ever. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Yeah. yeah. Maybe so I'm biased. <laughs> no, we think uh, so too. We love wolves and moose. Yes. Oh, yes. We've done, we've done was yeah. we talked about the gray wolf and the red wolf, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fantastic. But we never talked about moose. Mm-mm. No, we didn't. So that's why we're focusing on moose. And we'll have to have Sarah come back, uh, Dr. Sarah come <laughs> back to talk about wolves next. <laughs> Do- okay. Dr. Sarah, where is your lovely accent from? Um, so I'm originally from England, kind of like the, the northeast coast area um, called Lincolnshire. Um, but I've been in the U.S. in Michigan now for a little over five years. Well, Michigan's cold relative to the U.S., but I don't know if it's as cold as northeast England, I'm not sure, but yeah, different. it's it's a it's a bit of a different experience in winter. <laughs> we don't normally measure snow in like feet. <laughs> oh yeah, <That's> true. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it's yeah, definitely. So, are there any uh, wolves and and moose running around England or no? Uh, no, sadly, sadly not. You'd have to go to um, like hop on a boat or a plane and go to kind of Norway or Sweden and places like that to see them. I have a question then. How did you get into moose and wolves? Like what, what was the, all the way from England? Yeah. Um, so I was studying, um, uh, doing my PhD studying, uh, Northern goshawks, which are a large bird of prey species. Yes. I know Um, that. I love birds. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and so they're kind of like the top predator in the in the UK forest ecosystem. So I was studying really? how their recovery was affecting other smaller birds of prey and, and other things like that and their mm-hmm. diet. So it's kind of like the same research topics and questions, but my, I just kind of joke that I swapped out feathery things for furry things. So instead of goshawks, and I'm Shit. looking at wolves and moose. Sorry, I just pulled my plug out from my headphones. Okay, oh you my just God. cut her off. Please stop. <laughs> I'm sorry, Sarah. It's yeah, it's an ongoing thing. Okay, I'm this back. This is an ongoing. Yeah, this is this is. But, listen, Doctor Sarah, Sarah, this is not National Geographic, so just just lower those expectations way down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> and we are really happy to have you. Hey, uh, Dr. Sarah, do you know anybody at Missouri, uh, the, oh, the the food place? You know the why? Would she, she works with wild animals. Oh, that's true. She's not feeding them. Yeah. She's not feeding them. Yes, <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, all right, never mind. Okay, I have a question before we start. So I'm looking up. I'm I googled um, Isle Royale, and mm-hmm. so you, we can go there and like it looks 
absolutely beautiful and camping and all that stuff and hiking and stuff. How likely is it if we went camping there and hung out for like a week, would we see a moose or a wolf? Do they, do they stay away or, or would we see some? So I would say you have almost no chance of like, well, a very low chance of seeing a wolf. It's not like Yellowstone. It's okay. like a um, thick forest everywhere. So the chances of seeing a wolf are, are really low. But I mean, you'd see tracks and, and sure. scat and things like that. Cool. Um, your chances of seeing a moose are, are pretty good if you're there for a week and, and things. So I would recommend kind of just, you're more likely to see one kind of sitting still and quiet somewhere sure. um, near like a lake or, or whatever, um, or even in the campground. But if you're hiking as fast as you can, then you probably just kind of scare any off that are along right. the trail. Sure. Right. Cool. Sure. I'd go there and sit in the woods until I saw one. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. I would go sit by a lake. I don't care. Read a yeah. book and just wait. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm just well, What a moves. beautiful place to work. Yeah, it looks yeah. fantastic. I mean, not in winter. No offense, Sarah. I would not. <laughs> I don't want to be there in the wintertime. <laughs> well, D- Dr. Sarah, I'm going to cut to the chase here because these guys ask other questions. But okay. uh, anytime, oh, okay. anytime that man tries to uh, disrupt or change the ecological balance, there are unintended consequences. And my specific uh, comment relates to wolves. Where mm-hmm. you know the farmers don't like the wolf because it it eats Allegedly. animals from their herd, Allegedly. and then they try to do something about getting rid of the wolves, and then some other animal comes up like an elk and destroys because the elk population grows too much. It destroys all the trees, so they have to bring back the wolves. So I would like you just to talk about that for a minute about you know, how that balance is so delicate in terms of uh, the the ecology, if you would. Um, yeah, so I guess most of the research that I do is in um, Isle Royale, so that's a national park. So um, they recently reintroduced some wolves there because the moose population kept increasing and increasing. Um, and, and we were seeing the, the moose population was starting to, to cause damage to the forest, so stopping young trees from growing up into, into becoming canopy trees and things like that. And so there it was kind of an easy decision, I guess, in a way to, uh, to reintroduce wolves or to add wolves to the, the population because there's no kind of conflicts with humans you know, there's no livestock hunting on, uh, you know, livestock or farming on the island and there's no, like, conflicts with hunters potentially and, and things like that. So there it was kind of an easy decision because there's none of these conflicts. But, you know, you can understand why people will be kind of upset if their dog gets, a, you know, their, their prized hunting dog gets attacked or if, if people are losing livestock, which occasionally will um, happen. But I guess kind of just try and encourage people to think of the bigger picture. And so maybe these smaller losses are kind of hard to feel as an individual if you lose life, an animal um, to wolf predation or something like that. But kind of in the grand scheme of things, you know, the number of things that get hit by cars or die from other diseases is probably not that, that bigger factor in the long run. So... I don't know if that kind of answered your question. So, or not, so but... uh, since it's a park, 
uh, if the wolf, uh, not wolf, if the moose population started getting out of control, would they bring allow hunters to hunt the moose, or that would not work in the park? How, how does how is that factor in? Yeah, so um, the park is designated wilderness area, and they currently don't allow any hunting in in the designated wilderness area. So if they allowed it in Isle Royal, that would kind of be like a big nationwide you know, a decision with kind of nationwide implications, but also kind of just think logistically, um, it's it's a pretty hard place to to hunt moose because they're such large animals. And so to be able to to hunt a moose and then be able to get that, you know, pack the, the carcass out and the meat out, to be able to get it into like refrigeration and stuff like that, it, it'd just be really difficult and logistically challenging to do so um and also i think you know the the wolves have only been on the island for you're reintroduced to the island for a couple of years now and, and they're already kind of doing what they're supposed to be doing so i think it's best to just kind of let them nature take its course <laughs> let them do their job perfect that is just so fascinating. That's just, you have like your own little, I don't want to say like mini ecosystem, but you've got like your own little perfect world that, you know, fortunately there's not too much human, you know, intervention or human, not intervention, but human like, you know, destruction or, you know, changing it too much. It's just strictly like the an- nature being nature. That is so cool that you get to, you know, observe that. I'm so jealous. Did you say it was a <laughs> national park, Dr. Sarah? Yeah. Yeah. It's a national park. Um, it, it used to be very much influenced by humans. Like it kind of had, you know, it was a holiday kind of destination. And also there uh-huh. was a lot of um, copper mining. So like forests mm. was cleared and mines were kind of set up. But now, obviously, for a, a, a long time, I don't, I can't remember exactly how long, but maybe like 70 years or so, the park has been, um, it's, it's now a national park. And so kind of like the trees have grown back and the animals are just allowed to do what they they want to do. And so it's a really nice place to go and view wildlife because you can just sit, you know, in the campground and watch beavers go past or otters Ooh. and moose and things like that. <laughs> it's a really amazing I'm definitely going to so cool. come up there one day. Yeah, we're going to have to go take a yeah, trip I, for sure. I enjoy being, I enjoy national parks and I enjoy like camping and things like that. I would love to. Not just- in the winter. Well, <laughs> not in the winter, yeah, not in the winter, but you well, know, it's close so in the winter, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure yeah. it is. But yeah, okay, May is a good sweet. time. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, we'll have to note. I'll note that down right now. May is a good time. Perfect. And then, really quick, before we get going here, um, is it, I've read that like for a lot of things, like with uh, wolves in the wild, like there's a high chance that the wolf has seen you and is very w- aware of you, and you like have no idea. Is that like pretty common? Yeah, I, I mean, um, a lot of the times when I've actually seen wolves, it's been from a, a small aircraft when we're flying over oh, in the wintertime and things like that. Okay. So, okay. Um, so they they they'll they'll look up and obviously they know that you're there. But yeah, I mean, there's the same is true for moose as well. They've got you know very good hearing and sense right. of smell, so they'll detect you long before you ever see them. And so most of the time, they'll probably just kind of slink away. You know, right. there's, you know, camera, remote camera footage showing that, you know, there'll be a person walk down a trail and then like 10, 20 minutes later, a wolf or a moose will go by. And <laughs> right. so they still will use those areas, but obviously it's not in their interest yeah. to kind of be hanging around humans. 
Right, right. They're like, yeah, okay, I'm going to wait till you've, oh, you've gone. I don't okay. want to hang around humans either. Yeah. <laughs> I totally understand. Okay, so is I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's Alsace. Alsace, is that the correct way to say their scientific name? Um, yeah, I say Alsace, but I, I usually just call them moose. So it's right. Okay, perfect. <laughs> so allegedly moose is derived from the word moosh, which means a uh, stripper and eater of bark in Algonquin. And in Europe, moose are actually called elk, which I thought was very fascinating because was that weird for you when you came over here and we were like, we have moose and we have elk, but then I guess in Europe, it's an elk. Um, was that kind of an adjustment for you? <laughs> yeah. And also like elk in the U.S. is kind of like the same as what we would call red deer. So like teaching <laughs> students oh. and things, they'll be like, huh, well, you were calling elk deer. And I'm like, well, right. they're very similar. Right. So, they're yeah. pretty much the same. It's, it's confusing. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay, cool. Okay, so speaking of deer, moose are the largest members of the deer family, ranging in height from five feet to six and a half feet at the shoulders and a length of 7.8 feet to 10 and a half feet and weighing anywhere from 600 to 1600 pounds, possibly even up to 1800 pounds. Typically, females are smaller and weighing at a range of 800 to 1200 pounds. Um, do you, when you uh, work with these animals, do you ever like get their dimensions or like what's the largest moose on? Are you aware of what the largest moose on record is? So the IRL population of moose is actually kind of relatively small as as moose go. They're kind of smaller oh, okay. than the, the mainland moose, but the the largest moose come from the Yukon Territory up in Alaska, and okay. I think the the largest known bull was um, kind of uh, one thousand eight hundred pounds and was. Um, seven and a half foot tall at the shoulders oh my God. <laughs> which is like wow and I think yeah some of the the hunting records for that the for that region in Alaska found that you know some of the the antler spread can be up to about almost two meters and them have wow. sort of 17 to 19 points so oh um, those animals are really huge it's more typical in in our world to have moose around like 800, 900 pounds or so. Okay. I mean, still huge. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this still don't want to annoy them. Right. Yeah. So like you can stay way over there. Okay. Perfect. All right. So um, they have thick, light brown to dark brown, thick fur, uh, incredibly long legs with their front legs being longer than their back legs. They have long heads and faces similar to that of a horse. However, the moose has an enlarged bulbous nose and upper lip. And they also have loose skin hanging from their throats called a dewlap. Um, Sarah, what is that? Does that serve a purpose or is that still kind of under review? Yeah. So the short answer is like, there's no firm consensus, but there's a couple <laughs> of ideas. Um, okay. so one theory is that it's used for communication during the root, oh, um, both okay. in terms of like sight and smell. So maybe the, the bull, they'll kind of moose kind of do this necking behavior and kind of rubbing on each other. So maybe it's because of that. Also, the size and the shape of the dewlap is thought to change with age. So another okay. theory is that it's kind of like a bit like the size of antlers might sure. is an indicator of dominance. Maybe it's also the same thing going on with the dewlap. But I mean, other species have, have dewlaps as well. So, um, yeah, I think it's probably something more more general than okay. uh, less specific just to moose. But. 
Sure, sure, okay. Alrighty, and so they do also have a humpback appearance, and this is due to their large shoulder muscles. Only males grow antlers, and we'll touch on this in our unique traits section. And as for their lifespan, they live for about 15 to 20 years. And I have to ask Sarah, have you ever pet a moose? And like, if so, what do they feel like? Well, I wouldn't exactly say that I've pet a moose, but um, (laughs) the last couple of years we've been capturing and, and handling a small number of moose um, in the winter time to fit them with GPS collars, so they're sure. able to track and monitor their movement. So I have touched a moose, um, <laughs> but it was heavily sedated at the time. Right. Um, I guess the first thing that you kind of notice is how thick and how long the fur is, say, compared oh, okay. to a horse. Um, okay. It kind of has quite a, a coarse feel to it, sure. much more so than, say, like horse or dog hair. Sure. Um, and and I guess like once you kind of peek underneath the the thick brown top coat, there's actually that it looks kind of like white. There's some white guard hairs, and then the skin underneath is is almost like a black color. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, okay. how is the moose population doing out there in Michigan? Um. So on our world, the population's doing well. That we think there's probably about uh, one thousand eight hundred moose on the island. Um, there's also like a, um, a moose population in mainland Michigan around kind of like the, the Marquette area in the northern, in, in the upper peninsula of Michigan. Um, some moose were reintroduced from Algonquin there, and I think they're doing kind of fairly well. They maybe didn't quite take off as well as they had originally hoped, but I think they seem to be kind of stable for now. Okay. So- but the um, are these moose different than the Alaskan moose or the Maine moose? Um, I guess that they, you know, they probably all at one time were all intermixing. But I guess the main difference is is a, a there's a big size difference between the moose that we have here and the and the ones up in Alaska, and they're kind of considered a different subspecies. Do those yeah, antlers just to continue to grow later. or we're do they like Dr. Sarah's opinion? Are you gonna get okay? Can you <laughs> wait till we get to traits, please? Sorry, Sarah. He likes to get ahead. He likes to get ahead and not follow the order, even though he knows the order. Okay. okay. Anyways, as for their <laughs> habitat and geographic range, uh <laughs> their geographic range coincides with the circumpolar boreal forest. Essentially, they live in the northern north parts of North America, Europe, and Asia. Uh, should be noted, some re- regions, and again, we'll address this a little in more detail later, do have subspecies, and each subspecies having specific adaptations to their unique environment. As for where you can find moose in North America, they can be found in Alaska, Canada, and even in the lo- lower 48 states like Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin, the Dakotas, Idaho, Maine, Vermont, Washington, parts of Oregon, and Utah, and even as far south as the Rockies and Colorado. For Europe and Asia, moose can be found all across Scandinavia, going as far east as Siberia and as far south as Poland, Germany, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, and then also China, Kazakhstan, and Mongolia. Uh, they live in forested areas that are covered by snow in the winter. They do like moist conditions and are commonly found by ponds, stream, lakes, and swamps. Uh, so, Sarah, I feel like I have a, good, a pretty good grasp on their um, habitat. What makes Isle Royal um, sp- different, or I mean, aside from the fact that it's an island, but um, is there anything particular or special about that specific location? Um, so I guess uh, the island has a lot of small inland lakes and, and, and ponds and streams. So that's really good habitat for, for moose in the summertime. 
Okay. Um, the, the habitat requirements of moose vary kind of a lot throughout the year and a little bit depending on weather conditions. So in the summertime, um, moose spend a lot of time in ponds and lakes because of all the food that, that moose eat, the aquatic plants uh, kind of have the highest protein and sodium content. So it's okay. really important for them to, to be foraging in those areas. Also kind of spending time in the water helps to keep moose stay cool in the summer. Um, so moose are incredibly well adapted to cold temperatures, but because of their really thick fur coats, but they can get kind of heat stressed relatively easy compared to other deer species. And so being in the water, moose tend to, you know, reduce their respiration rates and kind of reduce their overall energy expenditure by about 10% or so. And also sure. kind of being in the water brings safety. So even kind of a fairly old, vulnerable moose is much safer um, from being attacked by, say, a wolf when it's kind of in a few feet of water than when it's on land. So um, there's lots of benefits to kind of being in a place with lots of ponds and, and, and streams and lakes and things if, if you're a moose in the summertime. And then kind of in the wintertime, Moose like to hang out a lot in thick kind of conifer forests and cedar swamps. So I guess in the wintertime, you only have, uh, you know, the only green things to eat are, are conifer species like balsam fir and cedar and white pine. And they'll also eat kind of twigs of uh, deciduous species. So they really you know, they are kind of less than about three meters tall. Mm -hmm. So they kind of, uh, these conifer forests are like the only place where they can find food with a bit more protein in during the winter time. And also sure. the snow tends to be a little bit less uh, deep uh, under thicker forest canopy. So okay. that makes it a little bit easier for the moose to move around and find food in the winter time. Got it. Okay. Okay. So as for um, moose and zoos, Sam, take it away, our register, our resident zookeeper. Okay, well, I am ignorant about moose because I have never worked with them. And <laughs> um, not only that, we actually, they're actually a rarity here in zoos in America because they do need a specific climate and all that good stuff. So um, I do have a list of the, the zoos that I did find them in here that um, if somebody wants to go um, visit a moose in a zoo, if you're close to any of these, Cheyenne Mountain Zoo in Colorado, the Columbus Zoo in Ohio, Potter Park Zoo in Michigan, um, the New Zoo and Adventure Park in Wisconsin, Milwaukee Zoo, um, and they have a moose encounter where you can pay to go behind the scenes and, um, I don't know, feed it or, I don't know, touch it, whatever they do. And then I know this isn't um, America, but in Toronto Zoo, they do have them as well up there in um, Canada still North America, and then um, Alaska Zoo. And then there's also a place in Washington called Northwest Trek Wildlife Park. Then my friend used to work there and work with their moose. So um, that's a really fun place to go. She loved that place. Um, so habitats for zoos, um, they usually, what I've found, um, they all, of course, have gargantuan huge spaces to roam around with a bunch of trees and large ponds because they do like to swim and things. Um, just some type of water feature for them. And they do have trees and big barns, usually for shade and getting out of the weather if they need to get out of the weather. So they like to make their moose very comfy. Awesome. 
cool beans. And then diet, Sarah, you pretty much covered a, a bunch of it. So thank you for that. Uh, but yeah, they prefer new shoots, leaves of shrubs and trees, as well as water plants. And they will eat bark and twigs uh, when other food is scarce. On, on average, how much food does a moose consume every day? Would you say, Sarah, Dr. Sarah? So during the summertime, moose can consume about 30 to 40 pounds of vegetation every day. Whoa. So that would be like wow. you or me eating seven pound bags of spinach every day. Oh my God. <laughs> I could do it if it was candy. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, if it was candy, no problem. <laughs> right. Well, I guess like, you know, 40 pounds in terms of weight, it'd be equivalent to about 120 bananas or like 180 blueberry muffins to kind of give you an idea. Yeah. But, oh my gosh. So it's it's a lot that they have to eat every day. And part of the reason for that is a lot of the food that they're eating isn't particularly rich in nutrition. Sure. Um, so that they just kind of have to <laughs> eat, eat a lot and then they have a very complicated digestive system to be able to kind of get the most nutrition out of, of that food. Did um, the moose ever complain that you're not giving him enough blueberries in those blueberry muffins? <laughs> uh, I haven't, well, I've had them grunt at me, so maybe that's what they're trying to say, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I guess in preparation for winter, moose have to increase their body weight by as much as 25%. So, you know, I, I've probably put on a few pounds during this whole COVID pandemic, but I can't really imagine gaining 25% of my body weight just by eating vegetables and salads. Yeah. That's nuts. That is nuts. <laughs> it's, it's easy to see how the forest can get decimated when their populations go out of control. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's I, crazy. I guess you would think if you had to eat sort of 30 to 40 pounds of vegetation every day, you'd just be kind of stuffing your face with whatever you could find. But it turns out that moose are actually quite picky eaters. So some of the really? research we did on the island shows that moose will often kind of seek out rare plants in that particular patch and things. And we think this is to help them maintain a balanced diet. So a lot of plants contain these or produce these um, defensive chemicals to try and deter animals like moose from eating them. And it, when moose eat these plants with these chemicals in them, they, it finds it, they find it harder to digest nutrients and things like in the, in the food that they're eating. So we think that by eating a kind of diverse diet, it means that they're not eating too much of any one of these really, um, these bad defensive chemicals in one go. They know what they're doing. So how far south would we see a moose? Uh, I just told you, the Colorado Rockies. Oh, never mind. Thank you. (laughs) Pay pay attention. Okay, as for zoo diet, Sam, all you. Okay, well. Missouri moose. You know it. (laughs) I was going to say, guess it, guy. Yep, they actually, Missouri does make... a moose diet called it's called moose maintenance and then um when it's breeding time they do have um extra nutritional one called moose breeder for the breeding time and they do get a bunch of browse of course you just heard dr sarah say how much uh, they need to eat so it's that's another thing of of probably zoos not having them because they do have such a a, a extensive diet and it's a lot so i i would imagine that probably um, is one reason why they're not all over in a whole bunch of zoos. But yeah, but that's it. Okay. Alrighty. As for solitary or pack animals, Guy, take a guess. These are not pack animals. Uh, oh, for well sure. done. Okay. Yeah. So solitary. Not, they not what? with those big horns. Okay. Antlers. Anyways, so they. <laughs> 
<laughs> they will gather in large groups during mating season, and they're also known as the most antisocial out of all the deer species. Okay. Um, so as for their behavior, they are active oh, throughout the... Yes? Hold on. You know, I just was uh, seeing something here. Okay. And uh, Dr. Sarah probably knows this, but the subspecies is the European elk, which you mentioned, the uh, Yakatia or Mid-Siberian or Lena elk, uh, and then there's the Kahukate Chakata elk or East <laughs> Siberian elk. Okay, and you're going to offend someone, so just maybe just Eastern stop. moose, the Western moose, the Alaskan moose, the Yellowstone moose, and there's even a Caucasian elk, which is really a moose. Okay, great. Thank you. So anyways, as for their behavior, they are active throughout the day with peak activity times being at dusk and dawn. Moose will usually stay in the same general area. However, some populations are known to migrate between more favorable sites depending upon the time of year. Uh, when they are on the move, they can travel as little as a few miles a day with a max around 60 miles in a day. They spend around 13 hours a day eating. Mothers are very protective of their calves and you should never approach them. I mean, that's kind of just animals. Rule number one, never approach any wild animal, but especially a mother with her baby. Um, moose are usually pretty peaceful however when they feel threatened they will absolutely charge at you and FYI you cannot outrun a moose on land they can move as fast as 20 to 30 miles per hour so just best to just keep a respectful distance and observe from afar also they are very territorial uh, moose will also uh, sort of wave their antlers and and at ran in like random positions and the only time they will fight with a rival is if they are of equal size they will circle each other and wave and wave and bow their heads before they fight. Uh, Sarah, have you ever been charged by a moose out in the field? Oh, she's uh, only been around uh, uh, anesthetized ones. You don't know. <laughs> no, she said that. Well, I mean, that's the only time I've actually like touched a moose. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I've never been charged and I've never had any kind of bad encounters um, with them. Kind of like I was saying earlier, they don't have they have a really good sense of uh, smell and hearing so they probably know that you're coming long before you've seen them and oftentimes you know if we're kind of walking along or, or kind of sitting in a spot and a moose comes along and realizes you see that you're there it typically either just carries on whatever it was doing which is probably eating or it might kind of just take off if you if it kind of feels you're a bit close to them so I guess in my experience, they're really peaceful creatures and kind of reactive. So a lot of the time when I see moose, you know, I'm trying to watch their behavior or take photographs. And so I'm usually kind of sitting or standing still, you know, so that the moose will stick around and I can watch them. I've had a couple of experiences at um, mineral licks where a bull moose kind of seemed a bit agitated and was kind of staring at me. So I just kind of backed away, just basically took a step behind a tree, even though sure. it could still kind of see me and the moose just went back to what he was doing. So, um, yeah, typically, you know, they, they, they seem kind of peaceful. And, and, and I would say it's probably true that for the most part, they're, they're more bothered by you than you are by them. So... You know, so you I'm, you just mentioned something that I was going to ask a question on. Uh, so now you've you gave me the entree. So you mentioned a mineral <laughs> lick. So yeah. who's putting those mineral? Uh, we call it salt lick, mineral lick. Yeah. Who's putting that out there? Is that the Forest Service, the Rangers? No, they they're just naturally occurring. So they're just a few spots oh. of kind of like slow. 
you know, slow running water that kind of is in a pond. And it basically, it just looks like a big muddy water pond. And the moose will gather there in early spring, um, you know, about the time that their diet is just switching from like twigs and stuff onto aquatic plants. And they're mostly going there, I think, to get to predominantly get sodium and things like that. So um, it's super important for bull moose. They'll tend to kind of spend a couple of days slurping up muddy water to try and get all the minerals that they need whilst they're trying to grow their antlers and things like that. But females will also go there. So I have seen kind of up to nine bull moose kind of all gathered around this one little muddy pond and and you can kind of observe them and, and, and be fairly close to them there but wow wow that's so crazy and see that I feel like there's also like social awareness like observing your surroundings like you can obviously tell you know just like when a person or a moose is irritated like maybe you should back up (laughs) I think like we all could take a page out of that book um so what some of as for moose behavior what are some things you've observed um while seeing while watching them in the wild aside from eating (laughs) Well, yeah, I have to say most of the time it's it's eating and then they kind of they'll eat for a while, you know, maybe 45 minutes or so. And then um, they kind of bed down to kind of rest and ruminate. And basically they have this complicated digestive system. So they'll sit down and they'll kind of regurgitate the food and chew it again and swallow it again. So they're mostly on this never ending cycle of of kind of eating and resting and ruminating um you know these is mineral licks is kind of a nice place to kind of observe them you know if there's several moose uh, you know particularly bull moose they're all kind of around the same spot I think because they're kind of more used to being on their own if one of the sure. moose sneezes or snorts you know the younger bulls maybe scamper off into the forest <laughs> and then take a little bit of a, a little bit of time to come back and I guess the most fun ones to watch are the yearlings the, mm-hmm. so the calves that just kind of um they've spent a year with their mother and then when their mother has another calf she'll kind of chase them off sure. and so they kind of like are wandering around you know, maybe they'll be like, you know, could, could you be my mom? Right. Yeah. Can I hang out with you for a little bit? <laughs> so they tend to be kind of like less, less scared and they maybe kind of follow other young bulls around and things like that. Because <laughs> kind of, they still, after even after a year, haven't quite figured everything out. Sure. Sure. That's so, that's so cool. Oh my God, that's awesome. So as for uh, communication, uh, they will communicate through various vocalizations, other noises, body posturing and odors. Both males and females will snort when agitated. Uh, Sarah, any communication you've noticed or heard in the wild or even just a part of your research? Yeah, so um, the bulls can produce these kind of really loud, raw bellows or kind of like croaks barking sounds so um a couple of years ago one of my colleagues had a remote camera attached to a tree and it picked up a video of this large bull moose and we could just hear it you could see its breath and hear it like roaring and then we saw two little eyes in the background and it was actually like a bull moose roaring at a couple of wolves that were kind of near there so it's kind of an unnerving sound (laughs) To, sure. to hear those kind of loud roars in the you know when you're in the forest but sure the, the cows will also kind of make a, a kind of moaning 
sound during the mating season, which to to attract bulls. But it, you know, it's, that's kind of an unsettling sound as well because it sort of sounds like an animal's in a, in pain. Almost. Oh no! But it's fine. That she's trying it. That's how she attracts the guys. And right. Um, that's so crazy. Yeah, and sometimes the calves, if they're kind of separated, the young calves, if they're separated from their mothers, they'll kind of make like a a soft kind of yelping sound, you know, kind of like a little bit like a puppy, I guess, almost. But mm-hmm. um, so they, they they use various vocalizations. Sometimes they'll snort and, and things like that. But um, yeah, it's very have varied. You, have you ever seen a moose give birth, Sarah? I haven't seen a moose give birth, but um, we can see from the GPS collars. So they usually give birth in like May and we can see kind of their monitor the behavior and they kind of explore around for a little while and then they stop and they stay in one very tight location for a couple of days and then they'll kind of start moving again. So I've seen like young calves that are maybe one or two days old, but I haven't actually witnessed a, a birth. I think that's probably a private moment that we should <laughs> leave them alone for. Yeah, you I've seen two that. births, not of what? mooses though. Oh, really? You mean <laughs> me and me and Edward, or Edward and I? Yes. Okay, that's great. I, you're, I don't think you're the only person that's seen human birth, but okay. Anyways, <laughs> moving on. Um, actually, speaking of birth reproduction, all you Sam. Okay. Well, so uh, Dr. Sarah just. FYI, I just got all this off of the Google. So if I say anything wrong or stupid, please interrupt me and say, wait a minute. So so here it is. So breeding season um, begins when the bulls go into rut, which we've been talking about. And that happens in the fall. And then here we were talking about their dewlap. I saw on something, and I can't remember which side it was, that it's also called a bell. And it it um, has been identified as a scent organ, and I guess you talked about that too, but it, it says they splash it with urine when the what? bulls dig rutting pits and it serves to attract females. Is that true? Yeah, so they'll kind of, the males will kind of um, use their hooves to, to dig at the ground mm-hmm. um, and, and kind of like move chunks of soil, and then the moose kind of like stretches over the disturbed area and urinates on it and then kind of like rolls in it so wow very interesting <laughs> um i'm glad we don't use pee as any, yeah as a way uh, to attract uh, others yeah we, um, we only use it if you uh speak. if you uh, step on a ch and then we'll okay use our no urine. that's a you you're not supposed to do that anymore though yeah okay um so the bulls will challenge other bulls for the rights to breed with females, but females can also get aggressive towards each other during this time. So I read. And um, Alaskan moose, so tell me if this is true too. Alaskan moose are the only moose known to have harems. So what it said was some dominant male moose in Alaska will herd a group of females together to create a harem herd, and other males will fight the leader of this herd um, for the rights to mate with the females. Is that a thing? Um, yeah, I don't know. Like if I, I, I don't know if it's only an Alaskan moose and I'm sure if you've read it, that's, that's maybe true, but they don't, they don't form harems in, in our world, the Michigan population. I wonder why, I wonder why that's, I wonder why some do. That's weird. Animals. Super weird. So we'd like to be protected by our women's 
Okay. Well, in Alaska. Anyways. So all other the subs, uh, of the subspecies that we've mentioned are they only get together to breed with each other and then they separate. Um, and then, okay, tell me this. And because when I hear croak, I think of frogs, but it says the male vocalization <laughs> during the rut is a, a croak. What is it? Can you make a noise? <laughs> can, can you make a noise? Like, what, what does it sound like? Um, well, I'm typically not on the island during the rut, but I wouldn't want to be either. Yeah, they kind of, it's like a very throaty <laughs> sound, would I guess be. So, the would best you way like to describe, describe it as a croak? I guess a, a croak is a throaty sound. Yeah, I I mean, yeah, I don't think it's, I, I guess I kind of know what it means. I, I, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to do an impression. Not here, yeah. <laughs> I, I would not do it justice. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, so, but they do have a vocalization during rut, so there's mm-hmm. something. Um, so most, most births are only one calf, but twins are not uncommon, but triplets are very, very rare. Gestation is around 226 to 264 days. And just like we were just talking about, when it's time to give birth, the female does find seclusion. And just like Dr. Sarah said, um, she will chase away the uh, calf from the previous year that's with her. Um, so she can give birth in peace without any kids hanging around. Um, mm-hmm. But also generally is said that they don't go far and sometimes the mom will actually let the juvenile reassociate with her after several weeks after her giving birth is oh, so that's, wow. that's what i read does that uh, matter whether the the baby is a male or a female dr sarah will will the mom let the female hang around more than the male or does it matter oh that's a good question i don't actually know i mean we we definitely have seen that you know we call it a cow and her nine-month-old calf and they they hung around and they traveled together every day for several months until you know the early mid-may and then after all that time together the the male kind of went off on his own and, and did his own thing and i don't think they got back together but i don't know how typical that is yeah sam i'm being on my best behavior when you're done, yeah. I need to ask no, uh, Dr. Sarah no. a question about something that's very important, Ellie. Bunny, be quiet. No. Go ahead. Oh, Go ahead. God. Go ahead. I'm almost done. All right. Uh, okay. So the calves are altricial, so they are helpless at birth, and they are kept hidden in seclusion like in a thicket or, or on an island, like we're talking about, for a few days after birth. Um, but they do grow super fast on a diet of milk and plants. And at only a few days of age, a calf can outrun a man like a human man, and readily swim. And um, that's it. Sometimes they stay with the mom for a year or sometimes longer. And maybe when she lets them back into the the group after she has a new baby. And that's it. Thank you, Sam. Okay, Dr. Sarah, oh this God. is something I'm going to try to pronounce and you can uh, help me. Uh, you can also ignore him. You don't have D- to answer either. Dimacentur alabictus. Do you know what I'm talking what you, about? What are you oh, saying? A uh, winter ticks. Yes, that- she's right. For twenty dollars. <laughs> can, you, can you wait till we get to no, there? We're gonna t- we're gonna is- cover ticks. No, we are gonna cover oh, ticks. You need to wait. Okay. Yes. Okay. It's very important. It is very important. Okay. Thank you. Fifty thousand. Fifty thousand. Okay. <laughs> enough. Enough, Bill Nye. Enough. Okay. So, <laughs> as for unique characteristics and traits, um, it's for. 
Why we don't see moose in warmer climates, uh, Dr. Sarah kind of already touched on this. Uh, so their large bodies and inability to sweat is one reason. They also produce a lot of heat from fermentation in their guts. And during the summer, they will actually seek shade and will oftentimes cool themselves off in ponds or lakes. They do not tolerate heat greater than 27 degrees Celsius or 81 degrees Fahrenheit. The moose is another one of those animals with hollow hair that is very beneficial for keeping them warm. And while moose have very poor eyesight, they have very acute hearing and smelling. Uh, they do have a semi-prehensile upper lip, and their snouts are designed not only to allow them to grab plants growing underwater, but also to eat them while submerged. So yes, they will actually dive down to eat plants at the bottom of a lake. And Animal Facts Encyclopedia states that the heavy muzzle acts like a water valve and closes the nostrils automatically. The seal of the nostrils actually tightens with more water pressure so moose can dive, chew, and swallow underwater. Uh, Sarah, have you seen moose like swimming around and diving and eating underwater? Yeah, yeah. That's I, so I, cool. Sometimes I remember standing at the edge of this like little inland lake and I was was watching actually like oh there are no moose here and so I was watching a loon that was kind of by a, a rock in the distance and I'm like hey that rock is moving and it was just <laughs> like the back end of a moose and then all of a sudden like the head pops up and it has like a load of stuff kind of I don't know swab spaghetti kind of sticking out of its mouth <laughs> and things so yeah That's they so do cool. spend a lot of time um looking for for vegetation and stuff and even in kind of early early spring which I guess would be about May where we are um <laughs> they'll be kind of still kind of looking for roots that were left from plants last year underwater and, and trying to eat them oh no kidding that's so cool. That is so cool. All right. And as for their antlers, only bulls or males have antlers. The antlers are used in self-defense, but where they really come into play is during rutting season. They're sometimes referred to as paddles, and each antler knob can grow as much as three inches in one week. They can be four to six feet wide and weigh 40 pounds. Uh, some sites do claim 50 pounds. For every year that a moose survives, its rack actually grows faster, larger, and much flatter. The wide portions known as palms also start to develop as the moose gets older. The antlers start to grow in the late spring and early summer and are initially covered by soft fuzzy skin called velvet that then falls off at the end of the summer, thus giving the antlers their distinct bare bone look. And during the winter time, the antlers do fall off. And moose 12 years and older have not so grand and nice looking antlers. Um, they kind of become a little bit more dilapidated, I guess, if you will, um, as the moose gets older, but their primes seem to kind of be between the years of four and I think it was eight. And um, so Sarah, can you explain to us what exactly the velvet does and have you seen moose shedding their velvet, velvet and is it common for them to eat it? Um, so the, the velvet is kind of like the nourishing skin that's covering the growing bone basically inside. Okay. So it has a really, um, basically supplies the, the growing tissue with like blood and oxygen and nutrients. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. it's kind of one of the fastest growing animal tissues, um, uh, uh, that's known. Um, yeah, like three inches in one week. That's nuts. Yeah, yeah. And and that's kind of that's that's bone growing. So you kind of think how long it takes, you know, like a, a human child to grow. Right. Um, but wow. it's it's super fast. And it's something that they do every year. And, um, you know, we do sometimes see abnormalities, maybe some kind of genetic disorder where they have, you know, strange shapes, and they don't develop or they kind of have loads of 
extra nodules and things on them. So they come in a variety of sizes and shapes. But I think, yeah, as they get older, they don't, I guess, and their condition is worse. They, they're not able to grow such big, grand antlers anymore. Okay, okay, gotcha. So I have a question real quick. So since they do shed them every year, do, do you ever just find them laying around in, in the forest? Yeah, yeah. It's neat. It's, Yes, it's very. Are you common. allowed to like take them home? Um, so the island doesn't want you to kind of leave things. The the park's policy is to just leave things as you find them. So usually we'll kind of take a measurement of like the pedestal, which is the the part where the antler actually attaches to the skull. So we'll take some measurements and things like that and record where we found it and things. But we just leave it so that. You know, because we want other people to come along and, and find this cool giant antler along yeah, the way. And absolutely. Like Good idea. Cool. So when do they start getting their antlers, the males? I'm not sure I remember that. Um, so they start, well, they start early spring, summer. So kind of like early May, end of April, they'll, they'll be starting to grow them. Oh, okay. That's so crazy. But I mean, and then, like at one year old, they'll grow antlers. If less than a year old, you just... Um, when they when they're kind of like yearlings, they'll just kind of grow. I don't know. They kind of like look like little bulbs or like little alien like bulbs. <laughs> yeah, just kind of like they're not very impressive, but um, they, <laughs> gradually they'll kind of get larger and larger over time. Okay. And when did they start getting interested in the opposite sex? Oh, I, I would probably say once they kind of get to age two, they may be interested, but whether or not they, they can find someone who's willing and uh, not already uh, associated with another bigger bull. That's always been my problem too, Sarah. <laughs> okay, no, it hasn't. Anyways, no, it hasn't. So next, speak, oh, speaking of the velvet, have you ever, is it common for them to eat it? Is that, or is that just them trying to like pull it off because it's being annoying once it starts to shed or do they eat it for nutrition or are they just eating it just to eat it? Um, to be perfectly honest, I, I don't know. I've never seen them, um, seen them eat it. So I, oh, okay. I, I'm not sure how common okay. that is. Okay, because, I mean, if you look up antler velvet, I mean, you don't really see any moose pictures come up, but there's definitely a bunch of, like, deer and elk, and you'll see, like, some pictures of them, like, munching on it, and it's like, oh, I'd probably want to get that ripped off, too, because it's just kind of flailing around and not really doing anything at this point, but... um Yeah, well, I mean, it's what provides all the blood supply, so I imagine it probably does have, like, a high protein content, so I'm sure mm -hmm. some creature in the forest would enjoy eating it. Oh, sure, sure, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, speaking of a creature in the forest, I would enjoy eating it. Would that be a good wolf snack? <laughs> Antler velvet. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I'm sure. Or, um, you know, something like a fox or, or something like that. I can imagine doing it. But okay. Okay. Very yeah, cool. on, to be honest, it's not something that you kind of see around the forest. So sure. maybe it does get eaten very quickly. I, okay. Not, okay. I, I don't know. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. It's just, it's so crazy that they grow like these crazy bones and constantly like every year, then they fall off and then they're back and they're even bigger and better than ever. And it's like its own living little organism. It's just that the antler is just so crazy to me. So when and do they shed them? Is it, is winter. it a certain time of year? Yeah, yes. They've usually lost, or at least on, on the island, they, they've lost them kind of like February time. 
but they probably start losing them sooner, sort of um, January, February That's time. That's so crazy. And so as for their hooves, their sharp hooves are actually their first line of defense. They will kick and stomp potential threats. They are cloven, and this allows them to splay out and not only support the animal, but also act like snowshoes and help keep the animal from sinking into the snow. They use their hooves to scrape away snow to find vegetation. Their long legs are also advantageous, especially for getting away from predators like wolves. The moose can easily navigate through uneven land, thick brush, rough terrain, and thorny shrubs, which is helpful when it comes to evading packs of wolves. As for um, predators and threats, mean predators are wolves and bears preying upon young calves in the spring. Lumber op- op- operations um, alter and destroy their habitat. Hunters, you know, prize antlers as trophies. One moose can actually supply up to 270 kg of meat. And death on highways and railroad tracks is pretty common, particularly when salt on roads attracts them. And moose are also susceptible to parasites hosted by the white-tailed deer. And um, they can get what's called moose sickness, and this is a, this is fatal to moose as a result of um, moose numbers decline when their range overlaps with white-tailed deer. And now, finally, ticks. Ticks also are a limiting factor to how far south the moose will go. Moose that have just become um, that have just become giant tick magnets will actually appear white in color and are referred to as ghost moose. And when they get to this point, animal control will get involved and humanely euthanize the animal. Ticks can cause the animal to develop anemia, also hypothermia, due to the animal uh, rubbing itself on trees and um, basically rubbing all of its fur off and trying to get relief from the blood-sucking ticks. And so, Sarah, in the grand scheme of things, how detrimental are ticks to the moose population? And have you come across any of these, you know, moose that are just ravaged with ticks and it's kind of time to just put it out of its misery? Yeah, so um, I guess uh, on our Royal, um, they don't euthanize any um, animals. Uh, Typically, you know, kind of on average... we see maybe like in the springtime, a moose will have lost around like 30, 30% of its hair, usually around the shoulder region and on the neck. Um, but we have seen some individuals that kind of have, have basically um, broken or lost about 98% of the hair on their bodies, except for wow. the legs and face. So, uh, and they're doing that to try and get rid of the ticks. So, um, right. you know, probably all that hair loss it has an impact on how much energy the moose is using to regulate their body temperature. Um, And research on moose populations in Maine suggests that some, you know, about 20% of the moose that they were capturing and handling had more than 50,000 ticks. Oh, my God. So that's 20% have 50,000. And some can have up to, say, 70 to 100,000 ticks. And and so it takes a lot of energy to replace the blood that's lost to all those parasites, especially when you have that many. Yeah. And moose that have really severe tick loads, so over 70,000, say, the research has estimated that they lost – an average of about 10% of their daily energy requirement was just going to replacing blood and things like that. So especially because the ticks are on moose in winter, um, which is already a really hard time for moose and when they're losing weight already. So, you know, I think potentially, you know, you might not see a lot of moose that die from ticks but i'm sure it has a big impact on that particular individual and and there's some evidence to suggest you know particularly for calves that it can affect their survival and also that it might affect you know the ability of of female moose to be able to you know 
rear calves because obviously like lactation and things like that it obviously requires a lot of energy and they're pregnant over the, the winter time as well so um, sure, it's maybe sure. especially hard for them wow so it's okay. not nothing <laughs> Right. Yeah. So no, this definitely, it's definitely have, they definitely have a large impact, which is just so crazy for, you know, an animal that's so teeny tiny, but, you know, obviously strength in numbers. And then, um, so when you are out there handling them and, you know, um, even when they're anesthetized, do, are you constantly checking yourself for ticks after that? And like, are you, do you remove ticks from the animal? Um, so we do, we kind of do tick checks. So we'll kind of like in different areas on the shoulder and the, the, like the, the back above the, the legs will kind of check for ticks and then, um, we'll remove some of those for uh, various researchers. We're kind of doing projects looking at, um, looking at different parasite related research and things like that. Um, they've also been trying to, um, pilot doing, applying mousse that they handle with like permethrin which is like an insecticide to see um how if treating them for ticks affects like their movement and things like that um but that's all kind of fairly new and emerging stuff sure sure i was gonna ask about that like if if we would ever put like frontline for moose yeah on on them like we do our dog what What are you saying Office for mosquitoes. <laughs> like frontline, that stuff you put in between their their shoulder, the dog shoulder blades. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, like on their shoulders. Yeah, I actually have to give my dog his, or Advantix, you know, I have to give yeah, my dog his Advantix, exactly. actually. Thank you for reminding another me. Thing, <laughs> another thing I think about, which is completely human's fault, and we need to rectify it before it gets worse, is climate change. So are the ticks getting worse because it's getting Ooh, hotter up there now um so yeah it's a it's a tricky kind of thing to um to to figure out but there's some kind of evidence so the ticks are kind of on the moose over the winter time and they drop off um they drop off kind of like in early spring and then they lay their eggs so if the ticks are dropping off and landing on snow then probably there's a low chance of those individuals you know, kind of surviving. So right. maybe if you have a warmer winter, there's less snow on the ground, then it'll be a higher chance of, of the ticks surviving. And then maybe also if it's kind of warmer in the fall when the tick larvae are looking for moose hosts, so they crawl up on vegetation, maybe if the weather's kind of like a bit warmer at that time of year, then maybe, you know, the, the tick larvae can be a bit more active and might be more likely to to find their hosts. So it's yeah it's um definitely a thing yeah well if you're looking at climate change you have to study things for a really long time so yeah i know yeah it's it's oh yeah but like you don't i don't think a lot of people think about things like ticks being more prevalent and more of a problem because of climate climate change they you know i don't know i don't i don't think a lot of people make that that um that leap yeah no probably not that connection but it's definitely i can definitely see it being something and and being detrimental to the moose um just in climate change in that respect not let alone all the other things that come with climate change but right anywho question really quick since speaking of ticks and we were talking about the opossum last week are there opossum on isle royal or um to at least somewhat help with the tick population or have you thought about introducing them or is that out of the question 
Um, so uh, there aren't a possum on Isle Royale it, because it, with it being an island, it has kind of fewer of the, the typical wildlife species. So it doesn't have things sure. like porcupine or raccoon and sure. things like that. Um, in terms of reintroducing or, or introducing them because they're not kind of there and I don't know that right. there have ever been any records of them being there. Right. Doesn't really make sense. <laughs> imagine that that would not be something well, it wouldn't for one, it wouldn't be my decision. It would be right. the, the park services and and I think because it's a wilderness area, it, it would probably be off the table. Sure, sure. Okay. I don't think okay. I feel like uh there's not any real success stories about humans introducing a species in an area that it's not supposed to be and it going well. Like you I know, don't, it's really worked out. Gypsy moth, the zebra mussel, it's really not going well. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I wouldn't do that. Okay. Well, yeah. yeah. Just figured I'd ask. Okay. So um, as for fun facts and human encounters, an evenly matched moose fight can last up to 30 minutes. The bulls will push and shove each other until one turns tail and runs away. Injuries and death can and do occur. The most dangerous situation is when the antlers become locked together, which does happen. And then, uh, you know, obviously neither party can eat so they, they or drink, so they then perish. Uh, not only are moose great on land, they uh they're just as great at swimming. They can swim at a speed of six miles per hour and can maintain that pace for two hours. They can dive as deep as 18 feet. Wading in the water also helps with longevity by relieving pressure from their heavy bodies on their bones and joints. So basically think like moose water aerobics. Uh, calves can swim within a few hours of being born. Males actually expend as much energy growing their antlers as females do during gestation. Moose can lose 30% of their body weight during the winter and while moose are less dangerous than bears, more people in Alaska are injured by moose than by bears each year. And I have a friend that actually lives up in Alaska and she uh, has told me, she's like, yeah, I'm, if I had to like pick, I'm definitely more afraid of moose up here than the bears. And, you know, that's kind of crazy to think that, oh, the undulate is more terrifying than the carnivore. But just, something- just walk down the street and stuff down in Alaska. Yeah. So uh, as for what to do if you are charged by a moose, well, first of all, don't look males in the eye and stomp your feet. That is perceived as aggression. Most moose charges are actually bluffs and are warnings for you to stay back. That being said, if you are charged, don't wait to see if it is a bluff. Run and get behind a tree or go into a car building. Additionally, do not let your dogs harass moose either. They perceive them as a threat and they will go out of their way to kick dogs, even if they're on a leash or in a fenced-in yard. Uh, moose can also become aggressive when tired, harassed uh, by people, dogs, and traffic. And like people, they also get hangry. So when they're hungry, they can become very uh, aggressive, just like I'm sure we all have that one friend that gets hangry when they haven't eaten for a while. Aggression is most common in winter and during rutting season. During the winter, the moose are hungry and tired and people will throw snowballs at them or get too close for comfort uh don't do that don't throw snowballs at any animal or you know again just animals rule number one just keep you know observe with your eyes and just keep a respectful distance but i guess that's a problem or enough of a problem in alaska for that to be on their official you know alaska wildlife uh department moose page <laughs> so yeah just don't throw things at animals or people in general just a fun rule um and then also, I would do never not- think of throwing a snowball at an animal. I don't even know. I mean, we used right, to throw snowballs is- at buses, but not an animal. 
Right, which is just so crazy. It's like, why are you throwing a snowball at any animal? Like, that seems a bit uh, extreme. Go throw it at yourself. Uh, also, do not feed moose either, but that goes for every wild animal. Just leave them alone. It is not uncommon for urbanized moose to be found laying under decks or up against a house to rest and cool off in the shade. Again, do not approach the moose. It can become startled or agitated and then charge you. And as previously stated, moose do not do well in zoos and they will die prematurely between the lack of space necessary for them and the typical zoo diet is also not uh, conducive to their longevity. They cannot be sustained on a diet of hay, alfalfa, grass, and grain like other deer spe- species. Lastly, their extreme heat sensitivity. So are you also- saying that the Missouri moose biscuits will kill the moose? Is that what you're saying? Well, it's just like rhinos. No. They don't do well in captivity, right, Sam? Isn't their lifespan cut by like 10 years uh, yeah, when we were talking they about the, them? they get that um, they get iron. Storage disease. disease, yeah, right. Yep, it's yeah. just they just—it's really hard for us to replicate re- really good. I mean, the nutrition of the wild that they're supposed to get. So, yeah, right, Makes right, sense. and. Right. So their extreme heat sensitivity is also a limiting factor to keeping them in the captive setting. 57 degrees Fahrenheit can cause heat stress. To combat this, the Minnesota, the Minnesota Zoo has installed dual chamber cow waterbeds to help promote heat loss. And the beds were actually custom made to fit the moose dimensions. So if you actually look it up, the Minnesota Zoo, you can see these moose just laying on these fancy waterbeds that are used for, um, you know, to, to, to withdraw or help, you know, heat dispersal and uh get rid of the heat on the moose and it's just crazy it's like it looks like a dog bed but it's a fancy water bed and it's kind of funny to see a giant creature laying down on a bed like you would see your dog essentially um (laughs) more people are injured by moose attacks in alaska than bear attacks uh also hitting a moose with your car is 13 times deadlier than hitting a deer just FYI. So if you are in moose country, be aware. And as of October 2018, Colorado state wildlife officials have stated that the number of dangerous encounters with a moose is on the rise. So just if again, if you're in moose country, be cognizant and aware of them. They are there and just be aware. And as far as moose subspecies go, Sarah, do you confer or do you like agree that there are multiple subspecies or, you know, is it all just one giant species or what, what's your stance on that topic? Yeah, I mean, it's a difficult question because obviously there's a lot of similarities between the different populations, but there's also a lot of differences, right? You have sure. you know, moose up in Alaska that are almost twice the weight of moose in, you know, that we have on the island and things like that. So, you know, I, I think, I guess from the other perspective, you know, in terms of like conserving them, you know, do we just, because moose have this really large range and they're found all across Europe and things like that. They're not mm-hmm. kind of treated as a endangered species or a, a very threatened species. But that doesn't mean to say that like local populations of moose, you know, or the certain subspecies are all doing well. So um for example sure. in northern Minnesota, the moose population's been really rapidly declining mostly Ooh. because of paraly- parasites, um, you know, the, the, the brain worm that they get from deer um, okay. and probably some other things as well. So, you know, I think um, if you kind of consider them, and I guess to a certain extent, maybe it doesn't matter at all. Maybe it matters on, okay, moose are a very important species for the people in northern Minnesota or, or for the indigenous communities and things there. So, we maybe have like an obligation to do what we can to try and protect them um, and things like that. So, you know, I think, you know, this depends on how you classify a subspecies or or, or not. There's different ways of doing it. And sometimes things get lumped together 
and then sometimes someone does a genetic analysis and, and says they're all different things. So I right. think it's more kind of important to to think about, you know, trying to protect those species and preserve the, the role that they play in the ecosystems where they live and things like that. Got it. Okay. Okay. And then have you ever seen a moose fight? So I'm normally not on the island in right. <laughs> uh, in fall when they're rutting, and I definitely, you know, wouldn't want to uh, approach some moose rutting. But sure. we do pick them up on our remote cameras and things that we have around the island and things like that. And in Isle Royal, um, I think there have been at least two instances where bulls have died after getting their antlers locked together. Um, wow. And also I mentioned that we were monitoring some moose with GPS collars and one of the male moose um, that we were monitoring actually died last October from a puncture wound in his side. So we assumed that that was, you know, probably an injury that he got when he was kind of fighting with another male for a female. Sure, sure, sure. So it does happen. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's so crazy. Um, Yeah, because, you know, you you hear about that, you know, you read about it online or I think we've all seen that photo of like, I don't know if it was elk or deer or moose that were stuck together and, you know, their skeletons are like perfectly preserved in this crevice. I don't know if it was like Colorado or Utah or something. I feel like we've all probably seen that picture, but it seems like to be, it's not common, but it seems to be more common than you would think um, is kind of what I've gathered from reading about it and based off of what you said. So when, um, how often do do your like GPS tracking collars, do they, are they constantly like pinging your receptor or is it when it moves or is it every couple hours? How does uh, that work? And if you want to um, go ahead, tell us about, about your research and what you've been working on? Um, so the collars record the location of the moose like every 30 minutes. So we get kind of two okay. locations every hour. And so for a species like moose, they I mean, they can move reasonably large distances, but they typically don't tend to go too long, you know, move particularly fast. So that kind of like um, time interval is pretty good for, for getting some good, um, good idea about, how the moose is using different habitat types um, and things like that. It also has a sensor on it, which is recording the temperature every five minutes and also has like um, an an accelerometer, basically kind of monitoring how active the moose is being in a particular location. So it's movements from side to side, up and down, forwards and backwards. So even if a moose is kind of like, in one location if the activity sensor is saying that there's a lot going on even though it doesn't look like it's maybe moved from the gps location then maybe that's a sign that that moose is kind of like foraging and you know browsing on different trees and things in that particular area and things like that so we can slowly kind of piece together how they're using different habitats and how you know differences in temperature are affecting their behavior and um, you know, you know, find out why some moose are dying. So that one individual was a puncture wound from the root. Um, we had another female that died due to complications giving birth. Um, it's kind of common for them to to die um, in like early spring. So kind of like at the end of winter before all the new vegetation is grown. Some moose mm-hmm. just don't make it through. And, and so we had another individual that died like that. But just really trying to get a picture of, you know, what are the main things influencing their behavior and survival sure. and, 
you know, which individuals are having calves and and things like that. Wow. Okay. Well, we better let Dr. Sarah go. We've kept her long enough. That is so great. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Dr. Sarah. Hold on, Dr. Sarah, I have a special song for you. (laughs) Oh, God. You've been fantastic. Thank you so much. If you, we would love to have you on again. If you will be so gracious as to give us the time, please turn that off. Um, and I want to hear what, what song is. Oh God! Oh God! Horrible. This is honestly terrible. We sang this at camp. Like this is from summer camp. Okay, turn that off. Anyways, yeah, that was. It's like a camp song. Okay, anyways. They moose? Do they really yeah. like to drink juice, Sarah? Oh, I've seen them eating snow and slurping okay. muddy water. <laughs> All right. No juice moose. yet. Oh, God. All right. Maybe you should just like leave out a tank of, you know, orange juice and see what happens. I mean, not, obviously not, but like, you know, like, do moose drink orange juice? <laughs> Listen, I wanted to let you know that I'm, I'm started keto and I'm craving an orange right now. No one right cares now. about that. <laughs> no, literally no one cares. This is not the, the guy's diet show. Anyways, well, thank you so much for your you, time, Dr. Dr. Sarah. Sarah. We so were lovely. Was wonderful. Yes, you were I fantastic. I just wanted to let you know that there were many uh, words that were spe- said here in this show that I would have said something uh, salacious on, but I held my tongue for you in respect to you. So. Okay, oh. she, you're, you're a saint. Okay, great. You're, you're going straight <laughs> right to sainthood. Anyways, right. thank you again. Um, if you yeah, have you if you would be so gracious to give us the time of day again and come back on and, you know, follow up on how your research is going. We'd love to have you back on, Sarah. Um, thank Do you, you have any always. peers that are doing other, other animals, Sarah? Like, uh, I don't know, the uh, <laughs> yeah, mole yeah. or something? The mole, really? The mole? I don't know. Whatever. I don't know any, was... any mole people. But no, that's um, fine. Yeah, yeah, beavers, things like that. Oh, oh we did beavers not that long ago. That would have been awesome to talk to a beaver expert. Well, we could still have them come on and still, you know, yeah, they, they're true. doing research, you know, like we love to talk about that too. Um, but right. yes, yeah, so thank you so much, Dr. Sarah. And as for you so guys, welcome. if you have any questions, uh, feel free to email us at justanimalspod at gmail.com. This ep- um, you'll also find us on Instagram. Um, and if you have any questions for Dr. Sarah, send them to us and we will pass them along and we'll let you know if we when we get some answers to them. Thank you again for listening. Uh, Again, like us on YouTube, not YouTube, on Instagram, uh, Apple Podcasts. It also helps with the algorithm and helps with exposure. And thank you as always for listening. We'll catch you guys next week. Well, Otto, do you approve of this week's episode? (laughs) 